Justine. And we are the Murderers. Oh, God. Sorry, I hack-jobbed that. Why? What'd you do? I don't know. I was just doing a little something different. in a complete different direction. That's okay. okay. That's okay. Well, welcome back. We are the Murderers. Sisters. There you go. This is episode 45, and I'm just going to kind of jump right in. This episode, I'm... Or this case, sorry, I'm excited about because I feel like, okay, we covered the Dyatlov Pass yeah, a if, while back. If you haven't heard that one, go back and listen so mm-hmm. you can compare. Um, but it just kind of reminds me of like, a, you know, American style well, mystery that's what they, like that. That's what they call it. Alisa. Oh, they do? They, yeah, it's oh. literally, du- it's dubbed the American Diet of Pass. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a, that's what everyone refers to it as because it's got some of the same elements and... Yeah, it's just, it's there's snow involved. There's snow, there's <laughs> mystery, there's everything. Yeah. Okay, so the case that we're going to be covering today is the Yuba County Five. So on February 24th, 1978, Five young men from Yuba City, California, attended a basketball game at California State University, Chico. And Chico was playing against UC Davis that night. And and the group of boys, I'm just going to call them the boys because that's what everybody referred to them. Exactly. They're grown men. Yeah. Um, But the, the boys were very huge fans of the UC Davis basketball team. And the group actually met through an organization called Gateway that allowed individuals with like different disabilities to kind of come together and participate in extracurricular activities together. And it was through Gateway that the boys played on the Gateway Gators basketball team together. And in fact, the Gateway Gators were scheduled to play their first game in a series of games for a tournament that was being hosted by the Special Olympics. And their first game was the morning after the UC Davis game. So they were like going to get pumped for the game. Yeah. And yeah. their favorite team. Oh, and Davis won. So they were even more <laughs> pumped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the boys each had their own psychiatric or intellectual disability. And this is just, this is based off of diagnosis that was made in the 70s. So the first individual is Gary Mathias, and he was 25 at the time he disappeared. He was an army vet um, in the early 1970s, uh, and he was stationed in Germany. And while he was serving, he developed kind of a, a drug problem and was later diagnosed with schizophrenia before being medically discharged from the army. And then at that point, he returned home to Yuba City where his parents lived. So he was maybe like self-medicating with the drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? And like, I think 25 is like the time. I was going to say that too. For men, it's Mm -hmm. typically like early to mid 20s, I think. So that makes sense. So after struggling with his mental illness and having some violent outbursts as a result of his illness, Gary sought help from a Veterans Administration Hospital where he found a combination of medication. So it was Stelazine and Cogentin. Sounds right. (laughs) We ain't no doctors. Um, So he was taking that combination of medication and he was said to be stable. By his doctors and they actually said he was like 
a success story for them. Yeah. I, I also came across yeah. that, that he was like doing the best he's ever done mm-hmm. and uh, taking his medications and doing everything right. Very, very stable. Um, and next we have Bill Sterling, who was 29 and he was diagnosed with learning disabilities. It didn't go into anything more than that. And then there was also Ted Weir, who was 32. He also was said to have learning disabilities. And then Jack Hewitt, who was 24, so he was the youngest, and he had a very low IQ of about 40. Okay. Um, And finally, Jack Madruga, who was 30, and he was the only one of the group that didn't have any diagnosis, according to his mom. Mm -hmm. However, um, his mom and pretty much everybody that knew him described him as being very slow. So, <laughs> how lovely, which is so rude. Yeah, um, but maybe they just didn't have the language to yeah. ex- express Air, back then. Yeah, figure out what. Um, so, M- Jack Madruga was also the one that was driving the boys to the basketball game in Chico on the night that they disappeared. And everyone who knew Jack knew that he never let anybody drive his car. And he took very, he was like obsessed with keeping his cars very meticulous. Mm -hmm. He never let anyone drive it. Like took great care of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just kind of something to note. On the night of February 24th, 1978, the boys piled into Jack Madruga's 1969 Mercury Montego and headed out to Chico State to watch their favorite team, UC Davis play um basketball game and the group made the approximate one hour drive to the game watched the game uc davis won like i said so the they were all hyped and excited yeah and after the game the boys got back into madruga's car and headed out and that was around 10 p.m but before leaving chico the boys decided to make a pit stop at bears market to buy they bought then this is so innocent they bought one hostess cherry pie Mm. one langendorf lemon pie Mm. one snickers bar one marathon marathon bar two pepsis and a quart and a half of milk (laughs) and then they got back into i I approve yeah madruga's (laughs) car and essentially made the drive back home Something that I do feel is pertinent to mention is the fact that individuals with learning disabilities or psychiatric diagnosis um, were not treated well back in the 1970s. Uh, in fact, a lot of people that fell into those categories were often attacked and bullied during that time. And even people that were trying to speak out against the hate towards them were often people retaliated against them as well. There was mention of a firebombing of a guy yeah. who tried to get the, I think, LA Times to write an article or look into. Yeah, the hate crimes the that hate are crimes, going on. And he got firebombed. And, so, ki- and killed. Yeah, he died. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of what it was like to be these guys, these boys back in that time. And during those times, people with disabilities were seven times more likely than those without disabilities to be the subject of violence. Yeah. So that's wow. pretty substantial. So I, the reason why I mention this is because it might explain some of the behavior that the boys 
did or some of the decisions they made after going leaving Bear's convenience well, I'll store. I'll get into that, Elisa. Yeah. <laughs> so the group actually headed in the opposite direction of their home in Yuba County towards Oroville. And they drove all the way up into the, it was up high in the mountains of Plumas National Forest. Despite being very familiar with the area, knowing their way around the area, knowing how to get back home, um, they ended up in this like high in the mountains where it was completely in the opposite direction that they were supposed to be going. And I think something to maybe note also is they were also really excited to get back home to get to sleep, to wake up the next morning and play their basketball game. Um, so, you know, I don't think that they necessarily chose to drove in, drive in the wrong direction voluntarily, but I think that is probably a good spot to pass it off to Justine. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. Kind of setting the setting the picture <laughs> for what's to come. I'm going to be just repeating some of the stuff Elisa had already gone Sorry. into just to, you know, really like tell the story from from the time that the boys, you know, left the the uh, gas station and just to reiterate their behaviors and that kind of thing. So I'll just, instead of rambling about what I'm going to talk about, I'll just talk about <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so the boys didn't make it home that night after the game. This was extremely out of character. Alisa mentioned they were so excited to be playing in the tournament sponsored by the Special Olympics the very next day. They had trained. They they like going to UC Davis games so they can get some like pick up some skills. Yeah, and some they moves. were very into their basketball. Yeah, dedicated, yeah. and they were well known as being athlete like mm-hmm. good athletes. They took it seriously. So this group would have been home to get ready for their big day the next day, and their parents immediately knew you know, something was way off when the boys weren't back in the morning. Ted's mother called Billy's, or Bill, and um, they eventually connected with all of the boys' parents to confirm their worst fear. The parents then reported their son's missing, and an immediate search was conducted, which is mm-hmm. good because they are were all adults in their 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. um, and maybe they took it a little more seriously because of their you know, what they were called intellectually disabled or, or learning like they're high risk or something. Yeah, I'm I'm assuming that's why I don't know if it or at risk if it was a if it was like a group of just other boys at that age that were missing how they'd handle it. But I thought that was good that they mm-hmm. just jumped on it. The local news and radio stations made sure to get the word out about the missing friends, the missing group of friends, and this sparked an eventual lead, which I will get into a little later. Um, The car that they were in, I'll say again, 69 Mercury Montego or Monte. I wrote Montega, but I don't know. It might, it's, I always say words wrong, so I'll go with. And yours. then I kept referring to it in here as Mercury because I'm like, I don't. I'm not gonna remember Montega. that. <laughs> remember, I'm not a car person. Um, that was found the very next day by a forest ranger. 
on February 25th, um, deep in the forest near an area called Rogers Cow Camp. And family members of Jack M. So Jack M. was the one who was driving. Mm -hmm. Madruga. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, He owned the Mercury. He was driving. As we know, he was, I mean, as far as we know, he was driving. Well, remember I said he didn't let anybody I, I touch know, his but car. You, but I mean, we're just it, based on behavior. No one was driving his car, but I say he was driving it. We don't know. We don't <laughs> I feel pretty confident about that. <laughs> just throwing in something okay. to screw everyone up on trying to figure this case out. Um so he knew the area well and knew even like the forest well. So they believed there was no way he would have just willingly drove deep into the forest where the car was eventually discovered. And the direction that they drove was also perplexing because from the gas station where they stopped at around 10 p.m., all they would have had to do was drive south, just drive south yeah. back home. And instead, pretty like straight, just straight right down. Yeah. And instead, they drove southeast along a highway that led straight into this like dense, desolate forest, mountainous forest, deep, deep mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it was at night. It was snowing. February, so it was cold. It was snowing. There was a snowstorm actually. So it's like, what are they doing? And think of like the darkest dark. Yeah, the darkest dark. No street lights or anything. Again, the boys knew the area so well, so it was just like a complete mystery as to why they drove off in this direction. Another crazy aspect of the discovery of the car is that um, it was basically in perfect condition. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's like they didn't hit a bunch of bushes or it's like it went off the road and yet it was still in good condition, which who knows that might mean something or not. I mean, that might indicate that they were driving slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very slowly and carefully. But that's even weirder. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, it also, this is crazy. It had a full tank of gas and the police actually hotwired the car when they found it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it started right up. So nothing wrong with the car. No damage. It had full tank of gas. Yeah. No scratches, no blood or anything. I mean, there was nothing there and the car was working and full tank of gas. So no visible damage whatsoever. And, um, but (laughs) the vehicle, I mean, the the boys, Mm -hmm. thank you. All right. Get it together. Pull it together. Justine. The boys were nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. So it's like this pristine car with a full tank of gas, but the boys weren't around. And I'll remind everyone, this is in a forest covered in snow. Mm -hmm. Since there was gas in the tank, even if the car was stuck, maybe. Yeah. Why would the boys leave the safety of the vehicle where they would be able to use a heater? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they could have kept at it least, running or-, or at least stay out of the freezing cold conditions until morning, mm-hmm. just staying in the shelter of the car. So yeah. it's just like led to even more questions than answers. Yeah. Um, so with no bodies and only the abandoned car, the police didn't have much to work with, but. Remember how I mentioned earlier that there was a bit of a lead following Mm -hmm. the news announcement? Well, a local 55-year-old man named Joe Shones heard this on the news and contacted police to let them know he too was in that area. 
that night in the middle of nowhere at night and and that he had actually um seen the boy's car and possibly saw the boys Mm. so joe's story is sorry yeah okay because it's pitch black how are you seeing people well oh well i'll i'll get to that there is actually explanation to why he would see people and the car okay so his story is definitely full of oddities and holes but i'll let you be the judge of that really (laughs) uh joe claimed that he was driving in this same like mountainous snow filled stormy area late at night on the same evening that the boys went missing to scope out the roads for an upcoming ski trip he was planning on taking with his family. And is he from the area? I think he's from nearby and like, well, I guess back then they didn't have like weather apps. I guess you're stuff. right, Elise. <laughs> like you had to go check out the area but yourself. But also, why at night? And he was yeah, he was said he was checking the paths to on the way to his cabin. Mhm. And according to like multiple sources, including there's a really great episode. It's like this, the most random source, but it's called autobiography cold cases on motor trend. So Mm -hmm. it's like they help to try to like solve um, cold cases that have some relation to cars. So okay, that's cool. According to them and other a lot of other sources that cover this case, there's never any evidence that Joe had even like owned a cabin. But you know, there he may have rented that's the show made a point to say he may have rented a cabin or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't ask Joe because he's no you longer know. with us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, back to the story. Joe said due to the snowy storm that he was voluntarily driving into with a VW bug. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, wait, totally what? not prepared for snowy roads. He got stuck. Yeah, yeah, I would think. Joe then states he got out of his car and started pushing when he su- had a sudden mild heart attack. <laughs> Jesus, so he got quite back, the story he got back into his car to stay warm and hope that like someone would come along to help a little time passed and he suddenly saw headlights of a car and noticed a group of men and a woman with a baby a crying mm. baby it, yeah he yelled for help but says they all ignored him and turned off their lights i'm sorry i would ignore him too uh, yeah Pitch of course black. I, yeah out in the middle of nowhere and they turned off their lights. So remember you asked, how would he be able to see people? Oh, because the lights were on. They had their headlights on. Okay. Um, Joe had his headlights on. So he saw so many people up there. Yeah. So a total of two cars and like a gang of people. But like, so one group would have been the boys, which he said he saw them. Yeah, right? that's what we're assuming. And then the yeah. other group is like, the men with the baby and the no lady. i think there was like just one group of boys or guys mm-hmm. with a baby oh. and a woman and a baby and then i mean that's it and then a red truck so he said he saw a red truck mm-hmm. a red pickup truck um and anytime he yelled for help his calls were just ignored Oh, that's so weird. So, um, yeah, it's really weird. And his story changed a lot, too. But Mm -hmm. what we do know, what he did say is he saw a red truck. He saw a group of guys with a woman with a crying baby. And they were together. Um, And so 
you know, and they ignored him and turned off their lights. Or whatever. <laughs> he he then just just decided to wait out the storm in his car, and he walked the next morning for like about eight miles downhill. In this, sorry, in the snow. I guess so. Yeah, I guess snow. <laughs> I guess snow. Good one. Thank you. <laughs> Until I he just sniffed into the microphone. Gross. That's... Okay. <laughs> Disgusting. We're kind of gross these days. Um. So he, yeah, hiked downhill um, for eight miles until he might have been following the road. So the roads might have been cleared and that's what he was walking on Mm. Um, instead of like straight up in the snow. It might have been like he just followed the road down. Yeah. I I mean, that makes sense. It's just eight miles is a lot after you just had a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. (laughs) And like slept in a car all night and it's freezing cold and blah, 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 blah. Um, so he kept walking until he came across some help and he was safely taken home. Okay. So that's his story to the police. Hey, I think I saw those guys. Uh, with Joe being the only witness to the boys after the gas station incident, the police went back obviously to question him further about that night. Um, they confirmed that Joe in fact did have a mild heart attack. Um, they performed an EKG on him. I think he went to the doctors like a couple days after the incident, but they were like, yep, he had a mild heart attack. Okay. So a story is true. Like the whole, so they, you know, apparently thought because of him actually having a mild heart attack that, that the whole he thing must was be true. telling the truth. Yeah. The altogether. whole story was true. Can I, yes. okay. So he had the mild heart attack. Can you hallucinate when you're having a oh, heart yeah, attack? Oh, yeah. I kind of like go into that a little bit. <laughs> okay. Thank Sorry. you very much. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. So um, anyway, they concluded that, you know, Joe didn't have anything to do with this, whatever. He had a heart attack, blah, blah, blah. And so the police started looking elsewhere for leads that included the very unconventional use of going to a psychic medium All for right. info. That's like they jumped right to it. As you, as you did in the 70s, I guess. Um, this really led nowhere. And after putting in over 6,000 hours nearly wow. combined of trying to find the boys, the case went cold until... Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> We're Sorry. all full of cheesy jokes today. Uh. Um, cheesy dad puns and... Anyway, um, you know, the case went cold until the weather heated up in the summer of 1978 and began melting the snowy mountains. Hmm, What are we going to find? So with the snow completely melted months after the disappearance, a group of motorcyclists were riding through the roads. It was a beautiful sunny day when they stopped for a break near an old um, what looked like an abandoned trailer. Now that the sun was out and it was a little hotter, the smell of decomposition Ooh. was wafting in the air. Oh, and sure enough, the bikers were like, where is this coming from? They found a body in the this empty-ish trailer or kind of isolated trailer. Mm-hmm. The body was that of Ted's, so one of the boys. Um, and he was found tucked inside eight. I read from multiple sources, it's sheets or blankets, like okay. eight of them. So like maybe thin blankets, thin blankets, sheets, blankets. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that he was like tucked in 
so somebody else had to have like wrapped him, him like a burrito. In. Yeah, yeah, wrapped him like a burrito. Something he couldn't have done himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so they knew that there was like another person that at was least close by the trailer. <laughs> yeah, with him. Um, he had lost a very significant amount of weight, about half of his original body weight. I also came across like a hundred pounds. Yeah, that's kind of. But um, yeah, he was skin and bones. And the most shocking thing is that he had grown a long beard, which he did not have before at all. So how long after they disappeared did they were was he found? Um, this was like months later, I think I mentioned that um, later on, like exactly how long, but I believe it was crazy. June. Yeah, it was June. It was June. And they went, uh, missing, they went in missing February. End of February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was later confirmed by a medical examiner that Ted had stayed alive for eight to 13 weeks. Oh my gosh. I've also seen eight to 12, eight to 13, but somewhere around there. And had ultimately died of, here's another thing where it's like, you know, I've read and different sources say different things, starvation or pneumonia or a combination of both. And the bikers found him on June 4th. So Mm -hmm. that gives you a timeline. Um, So that would mean that Ted would have been alive until like very shortly before the body was discovered. Yeah, that's really, really like, ugh. And what's even more strange is that the trailer where Ted was found was 11 miles from where the car had been found Mm -hmm. and it was uphill. Mm -hmm. So Ted would have had to climb uphill for 11 miles in a snowstorm, just in a snowstorm in the night to get there. And there was also propane, firewood and cans of food found in the trailer like so much food, I think it was like a year's worth of rations or cans of food. Oh, my gosh. And yet, Ted didn't use any of the wood. He didn't turn on the propane. And he barely, he or someone else, barely touched the food that could have, like, possibly saved his life. Hmm. And so this also really confused police. Like I said, there was about a year's worth of food and only a few cans had been opened. With the discovery of Ted's body, the police again searched the area for the rest of the boys, Mm -hmm. and they found Bill Sterling and Jack Madruga's bodies in between the trailer and where the car was found. Okay, so heading down or Uh, up? Up, up. That's what they're thinking. Oh, It it was later confirmed they they both died of hypothermia. And then, yeah, it was like they were going upwards and they were together. Okay. Then two days later, Jack Hewitt's remains were found near the trailer, moving away from the trailer. The only body that was never recovered was Gary Mathias. Mm -hmm. And to this day, he has not been found. An interesting finding that really reminds me of the Diet Love Mm -hmm. Pass incident is that Ted and Gary's shoes um, were like swapped or Ted had Gary's shoes on. So 
it's thought that Gary was the one missing. Ted was the one in the cabin. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. So it's thought that Ted had already passed away Mm -hmm. and that Gary had maybe like swapped shoes with Ted because Gary's feet were swelling from frostbite. Oh, gosh. And Ted's shoes were bigger. Yeah. Okay. And remember in Diet Love Pass, there was was swapping swapping of of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, wow, that's crazy. Um, Yeah. If you guys haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. That one's even crazier. Yeah. That one's insane. There was also a blanket found leading away from the trailer and like a rusty old flashlight. And this was assumed to have been from Gary. And remember, okay, that's they think that he just kept going and then eventually dropped the blanket and the flashlight and like continued on or something. Yeah, because it wasn't with um, uh, Jack Hewitt's body, who was like also going. But it was like further away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was just on its own. So that was their conclusion that it was Gary because it was like further along. Mm-hmm. You, do you see what yeah. I mean? Um, and you remember Joe Schoen who claimed he saw a group of guys, a woman and a baby the night he got stuck in the snow. He had also mentioned he thought he saw flashlights as well. So this is like a little interesting that they had found a flashlight um, mm-hmm. with this blanket. Um, it was pretty clear to police, maybe like the only clear thing about this whole case, that the boys were all trying to reach the trailer, but appeared only Ted actually made it. And they suspected that Gary and Bill had as well before continuing on where the blanket and flashlight were found. So I guess, um, uh, no, sorry, Gary and Jack Hewitt. Because Bill and Jack Madruga were the ones who were halfway up the hill. Sorry to confuse anyone. So those two were halfway up the hill coming from the car to the cabin. Bill and Jack Madruga. Okay. And then Jack Hewitt was found a little further further. going past the trailer. So it's not clear if it was downhill or continuing uphill, but I would imagine it would be downhill. Okay. Or at least straight, like flattish a little. Okay. And then Ted's body was found in the trailer. Got it. And then then Gary's Gary's was never found. found. Yeah. Okay. So they believe that Gary and Jack Hewitt made it to the trailer with Ted, Mm -hmm. obviously. And um, Gary and Jack had continued on where the blanket and flashlight were found. And then Gary kept continuing on. Um, Where were they trying to go? That Well, we don't know. That's the thing. It's like, no one knows. No one knows. There's no real... Would it... Okay, sorry. If Do you want me to save my questions until later? No, you can ask okay. questions. I might not have answers, but... So, okay, is it possible that... Okay, so who were the two guys that were found coming up the hill together? So that was uh, Bill Sterling and Jack Madruga. Okay, so Bill and Jack. Yeah. Um. Could it have been that all three of the other men made it to the cabin mm-hmm. and then um, Gary, Gary and Jack Hewitt? Yeah. Went out to go ch- get the other guys, like see if, where they were at because they were lagging a little. No, because they kept going past the trailer. So they didn't go back downhill to go get the guys. Mm-hmm. They continued further away from the car, the guys, the trailer. Oh, okay. It's like they kept just going. So but they didn't know where they were going. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And um, it's almost like... I wonder, okay, could they have 
gotten confused and switched around and thought they were going back down the hill. They but very really they were- m- well could have, Elisa, because it's like how disorienting to be out in the freezing cold. They didn't have coats, winter coats or boots or anything. Um, and we know that um, the guy that was found in the cabin, Ted, Ted, we know Ted was alive for a significant amount of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight to 12, eight to 13 weeks around and they couldn't tell if any of the other men had I I think the elements got to them yeah that's so crazy okay sorry but I don't believe there was like there were beards or any of that stuff I think it was pretty immediate for the other guys and then Ted yeah like survived and that kind of like lived without I don't know with little food and well it seems like he had more weight on him yeah oh that's the other very good point yeah Mm mm-hmm um yeah so it's like who knows where they were going and and all of that and why why would gary have left and jack why would he have left the trailer like there's so many questions why would the men be going uphill to this trailer did they know there was i mean what are the odds of like finding a trailer that's full full of food food and and propane and wood Why didn't Ted use any of the firewood, eat the food? So there's so many questions, a lot of confusion around this case. So now, since we don't have actual answers, you know there are going to be a ton of theories. Yeah. So um, theories theories around Gary include that he, too, is dead somewhere in the mountains. Yeah. And just has yet to be discovered. I, yeah. Some think Gary may have had a like schizophrenic episode and planned this, and his family has been mm-hmm. hiding him like he got away. And no, there's no way, no way. And it's like mm-hmm. they all died of natural, co- not natural causes, but like from there's the elements, no foul play. Yeah. yeah, it's like planned what? What was there to plan? <laughs> um, and they, so people think that because Gary's family never really made any statements. They didn't really like talk to the press. Those well, kind I of mean, things. Remember I mentioned back in the 70s, it was not safe to be somebody with some sort of yeah. diagnosis like that. So maybe the family felt like, oh, okay, if we put ourselves out there, people are going to know who we are. Totally. And come at, you know, I think that's what it, it the that's what it was was like is if you were even like family members of yeah the, yeah it was like just scary so i don't put yeah any i don't either it's like in that one there's absolutely so none of these theories around gary are backed by any actual Mm-mm. evidence just it's like no um there was a theory as to why the boys had driven up this crazy road and that was to get to gary's friends <laughs> or his friend but this to me doesn't hold water because gary hadn't even talked to this friend for about like a year leading up to this and then the night before their big game they're like let's just randomly drive to gary's friends um no that's Mm -mm. also totally i don't think that's true nope there was the typical things that happen when there's like a mysterious disappearance like people Calling in, claiming they had seen the boys after they went missing, but oh, yeah. none of these eyewitness statements were substantiated or supported at mm-hmm. all. Like, it's just like, no, no. Of course, there's Joe Schoen's claims that he saw the boys with a woman and a baby, but this claim too was never substantiated. And because 
Joe actually did have a heart attack. Some believe he was just like you said, Elisa, mm-hmm. seeing things disoriented from mm-hmm. the heart attack, which, you know, can can happen. I think if yeah, anytime your body's going through stress, it's like especially in those kind of conditions. Yeah. I mean, he was cold. A baby a heart attack I, in the middle of. Yeah. yeah. Sean claimed that he saw a red truck. And then when he later walked down the hill in the morning, that's where he found the mercury. Okay. That's where he passed the mercury abandoned. So that was a boy's car. Uh-huh. Um, so there is a strong belief that the boys were chased into the mountains by bullies. Yes. Who they may have ran into at the bear convenience store. I think that's when they were getting plausible. snacks. It is mm-hmm. a long drive to be chasing people for basically like no reason except, you know, being a mm-hmm. POS. But this is really the only plausible explanation. And it could just be that they were hassled at the store Mm -hmm. and maybe these people followed them for a little while, but they were so terrified Mm -hmm. that they just kept driving. Yeah. Or tried to veer off the main path and like lose them. Get away from them. Yeah. Or just like first road. That's, I don't, yeah. So this to me... Seems like it's the most plausible. It's thought that they did eventually like drive up this road. They got stuck up there and that's where they ran into Joe Schoen or where mm-hmm. Joe Schoen ran into them. And then he scared them even more yeah, cause by like, yelling in help. the dark. Yeah, it's pitch black and you just hear somebody yelling. And they're something. already like, um, they already and fight or flight. Yes. Yeah, like fear. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so then they felt such intense fear that they got out of the car to run. And then that's where everything, everything fell went apart. Wrong. The almost like miracle of them reaching the trailer with food oh my gosh, I know. and a way to keep warm was turned into like a complete tragedy because they didn't use any of these resources that were like basically given to them to stay alive. Ted's family has have stated that he was so against stealing that he didn't want to take someone else's food, which is completely heartbreaking. Like, yeah, he, he felt like it, he saw it as instead of survival as stealing. stealing. Yeah, this is such a sad event that was supposed to be like this fun night before this big their big game starting the next day. I mean, their team that they loved won. Mm-hmm. They just got snacks. They were going to head home, and it turned into a nightmare because they were basically a group of guys that were seen as being different and Mm -hmm. it's just like oh it's so tragic it was very hard to research and write this one it was just like so heartbreaking unanswered questions and it's just it's sad i do have okay so ted was the one found in the cabin yeah if he has like such a strong moral code when it comes to stealing why then would he break a window and break into that cabin in the first place um we do we know that it's him yeah i didn't mention the the broken window right yeah i didn't mention the broken window um they just saw that the window was broken so it's not really like it was it them was it someone Mm -hmm. else but also they believe that gary at least gary had made it to the cabinet or trailer or whatever as well because, you know, of the evidence there. And then someone t- tucked Ted into the blankets. So someone else was there. Long enough for him to have grown his beard. Yeah, I guess. Lost 100 pounds, passed away, and then he got tucked and in. And maybe he, when he died, then the others, like, 
that's when they left. I don't. Yeah, it's just it doesn't make sense. There's still so many like unanswered things that I would like to know the answers to. Like more of the condition of the boys' bodies and things like that to yeah, like kind of set a timeline of like how long they were alive. But I do think that Gary is out there as well. I just yeah, don't think dead. they maybe looked far enough. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, he couldn't have survived and yeah, oh, that was a true mystery. True mystery. So if you have any thoughts, then please write mm-hmm. us in at Murder Sisters Pod at gmail.com. Murder Sisters P O D at gmail.com. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Bye.